Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like me. So humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. good to see everybody worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we know there are many that are still at home worshiping with us as well on Facebook Live, and we, uh, of course, welcome, welcome them as well. And uh, we're hopeful that this worship service this morning will be uplifting to everyone. Uh, our songs, as we, as we go, are uh, based around a few scripture readings this morning. I want to read this first one here, uh, Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. It's easy when uh, things aren't going well to drop our heads, to be down. And uh, David writes in this Psalm that God is the lifter of his head. And in these, in these days and ages, it's easy to get down about things. There's, there's a lot of things going on that uh, we need to be lifted up about. And that true lifting of our heads comes from Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we go through these next few Psalms, uh, you will focus on uh, how Jesus lifts you each and every day. Now, O oh Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Now,
sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in me, and where you Teach my song to rise to you when temptations come my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you, you're my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you 
Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this day that you've made. We're thankful that we can all be here together with each other, praising your name. The last few months have been very lonely and isolated for a lot of us, and we're just thankful. We, we don't want to take this moment for granted that we can come together and uh, all be well enough to be here and, and praising your name together and loving on each other. Father, there's a lot to celebrate right now. There have been a lot of weddings in this church, and Father, for each of those new couples, we pray your blessing. We pray that you'll be with them as they start a new family and that you'll, uh, you'll guide them in their decision-making and, and uh, help them build that foundation on you. There have been a lot of new births over the last few months, and Father, we're so thankful for uh, the creations that you give us, children that you uh, bless us with. And Father, I just pray that you'll always be with those children. There have been high school and college graduations and some that are still yet to come. And Father, we pray, we thank you for all those accomplishments that those students have made. And we pray that as they begin their next phase in life, whatever that may be, that they put you at the center, that they listen for your call, and that they're obedient to that call. Father, in addition to the celebrations, there's heartache, there's trouble. Uh, people have lost loved ones, specifically this week, the Denny family, who lost their Wade's mother. And Father, we pray that you will be with those families who have lost loved ones and um, send us to comfort them, and, and may your spirit comfort them in ways that we can't comfort them. Father, there's sickness. Um, we know that uh, there's a lot of people who are, are struggling with uh, illnesses and undergoing chemotherapy, and specifically we pray for John and Carrie as they're uh, undergoing cancer treatments. We pray for their doctors and that they, that they will uh, know how to treat it and that they'll take the treatment well and that you'll bless them with health. Um, you know how important they are to this family. There are surgeries that people are recovering from. It was good to see CT this morning, and um, we're so thankful that he's recovering um, from his surgery. And we know there are a lot of others that are home. Father, there's people in this congregation who've lost jobs and are now worried about how they're going to provide for their families and help us to be aware of those situations and be able to help and give us the ability to help those people. And we just pray that that you will um, comfort them and get them through these trying times. But Father, we pray that we'll put all that behind us. Whatever's going on in our own lives, we'll put all of it behind us for this time and be able to worship you. We'll just lay that at your feet and trust that you'll handle that, um, and that so that we're freed to worship you. Father, today we also recognize that um, we celebrate fathers. Father, for those of us who've had great fathers and, and those of us who have great examples of Christian men to look up to, we're so thankful to you for that. We know how rare that is in the world and we're, we're thankful. We hope that we can emulate them more and more and um, learn from them at, at every stage in life. Father, there's also people here who maybe didn't have that example, who didn't have a great father example. And we pray that they'll find people in this community, in this church family, uh, or even in your word. Um, that they can look up to and, and, and realize this is what a father is supposed to do for their children. And we just pray that for, for those of us around and if, uh, if there, there are kids who need a good example, that we can, we can provide a good example for them. And we pray that you'll, you'll send us people who need those kind of examples in their life. Father, most of all, we're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the sacrifice that he made for us, the fact that because of his life, because of his death, we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear the things that the world does to us um, because we know we're your children and we're going to live with you someday. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Scripture reading this morning will be from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. 
In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The scripture talks a lot about love and it being a command. Um, you know, Jesus changed the world through his love, and that's not easy to do. It's not easy to love people sometimes. Uh, I'm not an easy person to love all the time, most of the time, but not all the time. Um, but, I, but I think as we, as we go through this, you know, love does actually come from the heart. I know that sounds cliche, but it truly does. What's in our hearts comes out through our words and our actions. So as we sing these next few songs uh, leading into In Christ Alone, which we'll sing before the Lord's Supper, I hope you will examine your own heart. Uh, take a look at your own actions and your words and how do they align with what Christ uh, gave us as an example while he was on earth. And as you do that, uh, sing out with us and uh, hopefully we can start changing this world one heart at a time. Break my heart, dear Lord, tear the barriers down, show me in convicting tears the so so sin is great, but I can see the glory set for me. Show Children, obey the blessed 
spoken, bitterest thoughts are rashly stirred. Brightest links of life are broken by a single alone my hope is found he is my light my string my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when still when striving sees my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Oh. 
As we bring our thoughts towards the Lord's Supper, I'd like to share a verse for you, to you in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For our Christ also suffered once uh, for sins, the righteousness for unrighteousness to bring you to God. He put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are told we ought to examine ourselves before we take of the Lord's Supper. I'd like for us to be able to take a moment and do that. And while you do that, remember some of the things that we could be able to do. First of all, remember. Remember what Christ has done for us. How he allowed himself to be beaten. How he suffered and how he was put on the cross that he would die for us and allow his blood to cover our sins. Reflect. Take a moment and reflect upon yourself. Remember the person who you used to be and the person that you are now found in Christ. And then also rejoice. Rejoice in your heart. For Christ has allowed us, as the scripture says, we are once again united with God through his blood. It's a moment and a time. This is a special time for us who are his children. This supper is none like any other because when we partake with it, we partake it with our Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you as we turn our attention towards the Lord's Supper and the remembrance of what your Son has done for us. Lord, as we take upon the bread and we eat it, let us remember the suffering of our Lord, how he was cruelly beaten, how he endured the punishment that we should be taken instead in love for us. Lord, as we partake of this Lord's Supper and we take of this bread, help us to remember the things that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we continue to keep our minds and our thoughts and our heart towards you, Father, knowing of the sacrifice on that cruel cross that our Lord endured, how his blood was spelt for us that we and our sins would be able to be covered and we'd be made clean once again. And through that cleansing, we are united with you. Father, we cannot thank you enough for the love that you have given us. And such a great love when you could have just turned away and forgot about us. But you didn't, Father. And you allowed your son to die for us. As we partake of this, help us remember the blood that saves us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. As Randy will continue his series on the book of Exodus this morning, let's all stand and sing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, feed me till I seated. 
Good morning. Marty, thank you for leading us in those songs this morning. Uh, and happy Father's Day. Uh, it's a good day. Glad that you're with us. And we, again, we have mentioned we know some are still watching on uh, Facebook and through the web. Um, but we're glad that you're a part of our lesson today. We're going to be continuing our series on Moses and leadership lessons. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus, we're going to begin in chapter 12, move on into chapter 14. Um, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin, and that helps you to follow along. If you dare to be a leader, you will encounter obstacles. And I'm not just talking about those that are pursuing a political office. Um, it can be anyone. It can be at work, it can be in the church, it can be in the family, it can be on the team, it can be in a group, it can be in a class. All of us have moments, opportunities to be the leader in our own circle of influence. And the obstacles we face, while they're not on the level or maybe as well publicized as those who are in an office, uh, maybe a president or a governor or a mayor, we still have to deal with opposition and trouble and criticism. And how we do that determines a lot on our effectiveness as a leader. And such was the case for Moses. God gave Moses a very dramatic call at the burning bush. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. So he had an amazing call, an amazing challenge to get the people of Israel first to buy into the vision that they were going to be set free. And then secondly, to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. Even though it was a struggle, eventually the Hebrews were set free. An estimated two million people, including some of the believing Egyptians, marched boldly out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. But it was not a cakewalk. If you remember the story of the Exodus, it's one obstacle after another. Even though this was God's will, even though God was with them, there was trouble after trouble after trouble. So I want us to look at three major challenges that Moses faced just right out of the gate, or maybe I should say uh, right out of Egypt, uh, and how he dealt with them. And then maybe as we deal with obstacles, we can learn from this example as well. The first obstacle Moses encountered was hostile opposition. Hostile opposition. It wasn't long before Pharaoh regretted his decision to release the Hebrews. If you recall, when the tenth plague hit, the death of the firstborn, it hit every family. And if it wasn't marked, the doors were not marked with the blood, then the death of the firstborn, every family, including Pharaoh's. And that, if you recall, is what softened his heart. That's what changed his mind. After all the plagues, after all the suffering, when his own child died, Pharaoh finally said, enough. Look at Exodus 12, 31 and 32. He said, go up, go out from these people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. But then just a couple of chapters later, when it talks about all the details, as soon as he heard that they had left, Pharaoh regretted his decision. His son was still dead, still mourning, but he realizes the implication of what he's done. Look at chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he led the Egyptian army, including 600 of his best chariots. And horsemen, look at verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea. So if you dare to be a leader, you're going to encounter intense opposition at one time or another, especially if you're trying to lead people toward Jesus. We see it all the time. Opposition may come in the form of a lawsuit, somebody who's wanting some financial gain, or maybe from a competitor, maybe somebody feels threatened by you, maybe by the government, and they're trying to uh, oppress you or in some way be suspicious of you. Or maybe it's the antagonistic press, and they're out to get you or cast you in a negative light. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's family. 
who think you are badly mistaken. When you are faced with opposition, the leader must press on to the goal. Look at Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. Now, that is exactly what they needed to hear because it is human nature. When you've got a powerful, intimidating enemy coming after you, it's only human nature to, to cower to that kind of threat, to that kind of influence. Nobody wants to be sued. Nobody wants to be fired. Nobody wants bad publicity. Nobody wants hard feelings. But being a good leader, you have to refuse to allow the opposition to set the agenda, to get you off course, what you believe is the right vision. And sometimes that means standing up and fighting. Sometimes that might, might mean finding another way to get the job done. Sometimes it may mean waiting on God's timing. But it always means not allowing the opponent to thwart the vision that is right. Let me give you a practical example, not from a corporate situation, but really from home. Any one of us. Christian parents are eager to train their children to, to know and follow Jesus. And that means helping them understand what the Bible teaches is what is right and what is wrong and, and what it means to follow him. Like respecting authority. Like first-time obedience. Even simple things like the right manners and the way you treat people. And hopefully you'll see the positive results and they're doing well. And so as a Christian, you're doing your best to instill that into your children but it can be so surprising when family or even close friends will push back on that and say, oh, they don't have to say please and thank you or Mr. or Mrs. Or, or it's okay for them to watch this or maybe even be aghast if you dare to spank your child when you think they need it. Sometimes it's those closest to you who pull the rug out from under you. That's hard. Now, when you face opposition, you need to ask yourself two questions. Number one, what does God want of me? And then number two, how are people going to respond? But if you dwell on the second question before the first question, you are already defeated. You've lost sight of the goal. Look at the rest of verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Remember, years later, Joshua faced opposition. When he said, you remember the verse, chapter 24, verse 15? And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river... Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the kind of resolve a leader has to have to make the right choice. And then stand your ground on making the right choice. Even in the face of opposition. Well, Pharaoh's opposition presented a second obstacle. And that is challenging circumstances. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They feared greatly, and understandably so. They had no weapons. They had no training as soldiers. The most powerful army and the most powerful country in the world was coming after them, and they were the target. No wonder they feared greatly. Nowhere to go. They were trapped against the Red Sea. They were hopeless. And when you lead, there may be times where the circumstances seem impossible, insurmountable. Now, sometimes when we work through a situation, we get through it and we tend to forget it because we're usually looking down the road because we know that there's often some other trouble that's brewing or we need to be ready for. Good leaders, wise leaders do that. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Just, just the time when you think it's time to take a breath or, or, or take some rest, another trouble is coming along. You've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. Well, there's no promised land 
without the Red Sea. People who know nothing about the Bible know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. It's amazing how this story is known for people who don't even profess to know Jesus or follow the true God. But an effective leader confronts the obstacles, the obstacles before there's an emergency. John Maxwell wrote this, Great leaders are seldom blindsided. They recognize the punch that knocks them out is seldom the hard one. It's the one they didn't see coming. That's true, isn't it? Look at verse 14. I mean, verse 4 of Exodus 14. God said to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. I share that because we need to know Moses knew what was going to happen. God told him. He's making this happen. God was orchestrating this. And part of the leader's responsibility is seeing the problems, anticipating the problems before they occur. It's being perceptive. It's having your finger on the pulse. Having your ear on the ground. Just, just knowing what's happening in the situation before it becomes a crisis. And so many obstacles can be overcome if they're confronted before they become that major emergency. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a power outage here in Middle Tennessee. Some of us lost power for a couple of hours. Some of us lost power for a couple of days. Confession, C and I were not prepared. We had become so comfortable because we couldn't even remember the last time that our power outage was a little more than a blink. You might go out with a storm or a wind and it'd come back on. I mean, our power service is fantastic. So much so, we weren't ready. We had a few beautiful smelling candles, but that was about it. So we were looking up, how long can you wait before all your food spoils? You did too. Some of you did, didn't you? Well, they were wrong, I will tell you, because we waited the second day. We finally took some of our food from our freezers and refrigerator to uh, somebody who had power. We had to throw away hundreds of dollars of food. Some of you did too. It was expensive. You know why? We weren't prepared. We weren't prepared. But we are now. And I'm not going to wait to that second or third day before I do something. Effective leaders recognize the difference between an obstacle and an impossibility. Obstacles can be overcome with courage, perseverance, sometimes teamwork. But it takes immediate action and God's help. But an impossibility, an impossibility cannot be overcome without a miracle from God. And that takes patient, believing, consistent prayer. And a good leader has to be perceptive between an obstacle that is a challenging the goal and an impossibility that can only come about or, or be rectified with God making a way. It reminded me of a story. I read this this week. It was a, a church that wanted a new building, but they didn't want to go through the trouble of paying for it or relocating. And because those are big steps and expensive steps, and that can be hard for a church. So this church passed four resolutions. Listen to these. Number one, they would build a new building. Number two, they would build a new building on the present location. Number three, they would use the material from the old building to build the new building. And then number four, they would continue to meet in the old building until the new building was finished. <laughs> there are some impossibilities that just have to be accepted. And you have to set a new course. Personally, I believe, even today, God puts you and me in circumstances that are so impossible that we have to lean on him. I want you to get this. It was God who put the Hebrews at that point of the Red Sea and allowed, motivated, pushed Pharaoh and his armies to come after them. God orchestrated it. Go back and read it. He told them exactly where to go, and he told Moses, Pharaoh's coming after you. Why? Because the people needed to learn that they were fully dependent upon God. Moses recognized the circumstance was impossible unless the Lord intervened. 
Look again at what he told the people, verse 13 and 14. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. When we face impossible circumstances, we need to trust God, be courageous, and then wait in faith for his deliverance. Someone said a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. God was going to be able to make a way out. But it was not a way out that they could see. They never heard of before. We've heard of it. We know about it. But it was all new to them. They were to trust and wait. And then they're going to have to follow God's directional instructions. Well, number three, Moses encountered a third obstacle, disgruntled followers. Disgruntled followers. In chapter 14, I want you to notice the first thing they do, the first response, and this is good, they turn to God. But evidently it was cursory or half-hearted because they very quickly then turn on Moses. Look at the text, chapter 14, verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's good. But verse 11, they said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to, in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Look on the screen. I want to quickly walk through this complaint, kind of phrase by phrase. And I want you to hear what they're saying. Because you and I can do the same thing. Number one, they were caustic. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Think about that. No graves in Egypt? If anything, Egypt is known for their graves. The pyramids are just huge graves. So what a statement for them to make. Number two, it was accusatory. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It wasn't Moses who brought them out of Egypt. It was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. But they don't want to speak against God, so they've got to blame somebody. And Moses is getting all the negativity. And then number three, they were disrespectful. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. You know what that is? We told you so. That's what he's saying to them. We should have never listened to you. And then fourthly, they were negative. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But think about it. The Egyptian army was not coming after them to kill them, but to reclaim them. They wanted to bring them back. They just lost their workforce. They, they just lost their economy. They wanted the people back. But people who are emotional will always exaggerate the problem. And it's the same today, isn't it? You see it in politics, you see it in media, you see it in social media. And if you look carefully, you'll see it in the mirror. We can all do this. And these people lost the vision of freedom almost instantaneously. The army's coming after them, and they just go into full force gripe complain mode. Critical, cowardly people. What a test for Moses and his leadership. Rick Warren suggests this. God teaches us to love people by putting us around people we don't like. A co-worker, a client, or a customer who is hard to get along with just to see how well we will do. I think he's right. Marty didn't know I was going to go this direction with the lesson, but the songs that he's picked and the whole theme about loving people, this is what we're called to do. And God will put us in situations where we have to love people we don't like to see if we will truly be his people. How many of you have to work alongside people you don't like every day? Negative, sour people. Don't point, but raise your hand. You know what I mean? The people that you have to interface with them, you know, it's just kind of part of the job. You live next to them. You work next to them. Maybe you report to them. Maybe they're on your team. Maybe they're in your class. And you have to love them. It can be hard to do. Tonight's home devotional is about loving your enemies. Hope you'll spend some time, if not just doing that devotional, just to think about the call of Jesus to love our enemies. 
Now, all this complaining and criticism had to be an enormous challenge to Moses and his leadership. But again, if you dare to lead at all, if you dare to stand up for what's right, you will encounter negative, disgruntled people. I read about a female lion tamer who was the highlight of the circus. She was good. She was poised. She had the animals under control, and she was beautiful. Her final act, the finale, she would drop the whip, and the biggest, most fiercest lion of all would come over and put his paws on his shoulder and then put his head and hug her and then nuzzle her ear. And the audience loved it. Thunder surprise. Everybody was on their feet except for one man who said, oh, that's nothing. Anyone can do that. And the ringmaster was quite bothered at his negativity. He said, really, sir? Would you like to try it? And he said, uh, yeah, well, sure, but first get rid of those lions over there. Yeah. No matter how effective you are, no matter how successful your leadership, there'll always be one in the bunch or a group in the crowd who will be negative. They may not know what they're talking about, but they will be loud and they will be vocal and they will get attention. Not everyone believes your dream is possible. Not everybody buys into your vision. Some don't have confidence in your ability to lead. I was thinking about some of the things this church has been through over the years I've been here. I think it was 2009 when our elders were considering having small group Bible studies. But we'd not done that before, and it was kind of new to this area. And so we were trying to do some homework our elders discussed it at length, and they even wisely traveled to visit with another congregation that's kind of similar to us, but they'd been doing it with success. So they talked with them about here are the, uh, the pitfalls to avoid, here's the successes, the things to do well, and we came back and we launched that with great success. But I thought about that, and I, was, I thought about a couple who left this church because our elders decided to make that type of Bible study available and it makes me sad when I think about that because I think about what they missed because I've heard story after story about so many bonds that have strengthened or even been formed and how many burdens have been shared and meaningful times of prayer in people's homes in that small group when you open the word together and you open your heart together God works in a wonderful way to strengthen one another and I'll say this too I, I I want you to know I've been amazed at how, how strong this church has been during this quarantine. I've heard about you reaching out to one another, checking on one another. I love the drive-by birthday celebrations. Everybody loves that. Even if you can't be a part of it, you love that it's happening, and especially those that are being honored. You've consistently given to the Lord. The elders have talked about this often, amazed at how much you've consistently given. And some of you in trying times, I think you're to be commended for that. But we're not through it yet. We've got more to go. Here's the point. There'll always be critics. The children of Israel are not the only ones who are really gifted at complaining. I can do it. You can do it. We can all fall into that mindset. Here's the thought. When you're criticized, you need to honestly evaluate the criticism. Because first, it might be true. It may be God working through that person to correct you. And you need to listen, prayerfully listen. If it's not true... It may need to be addressed if it's a threat to the future. But most often, the criticism may just need to be ignored. That was Nehemiah's response. Do you remember that? Nehemiah was commissioned by God to rebuild the Jerusalem wall after the exile. And, and everything was working so well, and the progress was going along. And as you read through the book of Nehemiah, you see that they had a, a rhythm going and, and a wonderful plan but it was not without the critics and several of them. And finally, they sent a letter to Nehemiah asking to meet with him so they could go over all their criticisms. And do you remember Nehemiah's response? To me, it was amazing. Chapter three, chapter 6, verse 3. I sent messengers, messengers to them saying, 
I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Because what we know, if a leader takes time to answer every objection, he'll never get anything done. He just gives the critic credibility or even a forum to repeat the criticism. It can take your focus off the goal. Notice God did not tell Moses to address the criticism, even though they had four different parts of it. It wasn't addressed at all. Instead, look at how he directed Moses. Chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 19. And the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night with not, without one coming near the other all night. Then verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. USA Today published an article entitled Bible Story Explained, and it shared this. Ten hours of continuous gale force winds could have parted the Red Sea. As described in the biblical account of the Israelites' flight from Egypt, researchers say. It goes on to say an abrupt change in wind could have caused waters to come crashing back and drown the Egyptian pursuers. That's what two meteorologists said. The scientists based their findings on complex calculations on the interactions of wind and water. If you've researched this or studied it, you know that most scholars believe the Israelites crossed the Red Sea along the shallow Gulf of Suez. But whether science can prove it or not, God performed a miracle to save his children. A little boy was visiting a Sunday school class, and the teacher was downplaying the miracle. The teacher said the children of Israel crossed the sea at a point where the water was six inches deep. And the little boy said, wow, that's a miracle. So the teacher said again, well, it, the water was really only six inches deep where they crossed. And the little boy said, yeah, that was some miracle for all those Egyptian soldiers to drown in just six inches of water. God performed a great miracle here. Notice the commands Moses had given them. Several. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Be silent. And now he tells them, get moving. It's time to march. And just imagine those two million or more people marching between the two walls of water described in verse 22. Look at verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back on the, upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the land, hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in the servant Moses. Believe it or not, it did not require cable news or social media to spread the news. This amazing event spread around the world, people far and wide. Do you remember 40 years later, Rahab the harlot recounted this to the two spies? Whole nations away, 40 years later, still remembers hearing about it. Our hearts melted when we heard that what the true God had done to save his people. That's when we love the story of Moses and the Exodus. Let me close with two lasting lessons. Number one, obstacles are sometimes our most promising opportunities to lead others with God's help. Obstacles are sometimes our most promising opportunities to lead others with God's help. 
Moses' most perilous challenge was being pinned against the Red Sea with the powerful army marching toward him. Time Magazine published an article entitled The Curse of Good Times, and it pointed out that throughout American history, the presidents that are noted for greatness are the ones who led our nation through national emergencies, like Lincoln through the Civil War, Roosevelt through the Great Depression. I thought about Washington. That's why we revere Washington, because of how much he did at the very beginning. The obstacles became their opportunity for greatness. And the article also pointed out that the presidents who served during a rel relatively peaceful time are going to not have much historical significance as we look back on their time. The obstacle becomes the opportunity for the leader to achieve something significant. It happens today. It happened with Paul. Remember, Paul was in prison. And he wrote these words, Philippians 1, 12, and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Well, here's the second lesson. Impossibilities are always God's opportunity to lead us if we trust him. Impossibilities are always God's opportunity to lead us if we trust him. God sometimes brings us to the Red Sea with moments like the Egyptians following us so that we have to utterly depend upon him. Someone said our extremity becomes God's opportunity. And in that moment, I think it's the same advice we need to take. Stand firm be still and trust in God. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me close with this. Thomas Ryder wrote the Ten Commandments of Leadership. You may have heard this before, but I think it's worth noting again. For all of us, wherever, whomever you may lead, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Give the world the best you have. You'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world your best anyway. Do you know what leader did that? Jesus Christ. Jesus saw that we were helplessly trapped between the accuser and the deep sea of our sin, the sea of death. And he came down to earth to help. And we kicked him in the teeth. And we crucified him. But through that sacrificial service, he parted the sea of death so that we may enter the promised land. If you thought about how many times, and it was in several songs today about Canaan and going to the promised land, we still sing about that because we understand what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 10 says that when we walk through the waters of baptism, he buries our, sea, our sin in the sea. We see it no more. He becomes our leader to the wilderness, to the promised land of eternal life. If you've not yet decided to make Jesus your leader, to become a completely committed follower of Jesus, our invitation is for you to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Let him make you a new creation in baptism so that you're buried with him, so Christ becomes a part of you. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of going to the promised land. If we can pray for you in any way, once you come as we stand and sing to encourage
I've tried to take one step alone. I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength to lean myself upon. Be with me, Lord, and then if dangers threaten, if storms of trial burst above my head, if lashing seas leap everywhere about me, they cannot harm or make my heart afraid. Be Thou couldst bestow, could with this one compare a constant sense of thy abiding presence where'er I am to feel. seated.